Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. As we um, went through the parables of Jesus um, a couple weeks ago, I made a comment when we were going into the um, um, parable regarding the leaven from... um, my mind's blanking on his name. J. Vernon McGee. How he said that that one verse was the key to understanding Matthew 13, and Matthew 13 was the key to understanding the book of Matthew, and Matthew was the key to understanding the entire Bible. And I said, boy, it's going out of stretch. I'm excited because this chapter is the key to the... No, anyways. <laughs> but but I, I'm not going to stay it that way. However, this section that we're looking at right now, I really do believe is... A, a major picture of of what goes on through the entire Bible. That the the picture that's going to be portrayed here today, that we're going to discuss, really is of a vaster importance than what we're just looking at. We're talking about from the heart. What's in your heart? Because that's what God really wants, is your heart. It's not, you know, I always thought, God doesn't want me to be obedient. Keep that in context. He wants me to be obedient. But he doesn't want me to be obedient just for my obedience sake. So I can say, I'm what? I'm obedient. But he wants me to love him. So we're going to come back to that. So I'm excited. Just because we go into this passage, I just want you to understand that at face value, this passage seems like it's, it's nothing. But this is an exciting passage for me because it really does, as an illustration, sum up what I think the whole context of salvation is all about. And what God's desires for us is all about. So though I wouldn't say it's the key to understanding the entire Bible, I do think that if you really fully comprehend this passage, it really unlocks a lot of stuff to you from that perspective. So we've been going through, then, the book of Matthew. And uh, let me know later what you think about the new projector and the clarity of that. I'm kind of excited about it. And um, I don't have to use bold, so a lot of this bold in the weeks ahead may become just regular print because... You'll see, you can even read the fine print in the back um, now, so it's really kind of fun. So um, I can put fine print now in the document, you know, and, uh, and, and, and you're, you're on your own now to read all that fine print. <laughs> yeah, but we've been looking at this, okay, and we've looked at that Jesus is Messiah, okay? I mean, at this point, it's, you, you've, got to, you've already had to make a decision, whether you or the Jews, we've already seen, they had to make a decision. Is he who he claims to be, or are we going to totally reject him? So sides are, the, you know, the, the, the foot being drawn in the sand, the line drawn in the sand, people are starting to line up on either side, okay? And so now Jesus, in, his, in, his, in, in the instruction phase, he's preparing his disciples for his departure, and he's giving them theology, doctrine, teaching, instruction, but he's also giving them the practical theology, if you would, how you live it out. And so last week, we talked about how we deal with trials. You know, trials are going to come, trials Tribulation is going to come. We're supposed to be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world, right? So, so those things happen. Today, again, then we transition into this thing from the heart. And again, it's huge because as we get into instruction, as we, we look at doctrine, okay, it's so easy for us because, straight up, we would be Pharisees in Jesus' day. You believe in the literal interpretation of the Bible, don't you? Didn't you believe that people ought to obey God's word as it states? That's what they believed. Do you believe in the resurrection? They did. 
Do you believe that God was the one true God? They did. They weren't liberals. They were conservative believers. And if we lived in that day, we may have been Essenes, but more than likely, we would have leaned toward the Pharisaical side of things. The problem with, and we're going to see this in a moment, that they, like us, like things defined. Well, what does that mean? How does that flesh out? Rather than just saying, God says, you're supposed to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, they want to know what that what? What's it look like? What do I got to do to show that I'm loving God? Right? And then all of a sudden it becomes a what? A list of do's and don'ts. And as long as I do the do's and don'ts, I'm what? I'm good, but I'm not. That's the whole point of all this. Because it's from the, the heart. So, the first thing we see is this hypocrisy of the Pharisees. It's where it starts. Right in the... the, 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 the now, the scribes and the Pharisees we're talking about, where are they from? Look what it says. Don't miss the details. Jerusalem. They're not from Galilee. Where are they at? They're in Galilee. Remember, we just were in Bethsaida feeding the 5,000. Okay? Okay? So, so they're in Galilee right now. They've come from Jerusalem. They've traveled. Why do you think they've traveled to Galilee from Jerusalem? To check out Jesus. They heard about him. They didn't even have the internet. Word travels fast, doesn't it? So they heard about this guy who's doing all these kind of miracles, right? And they want to come and find out if it's... Hopefully, that's the, that's the good thing. <laughs> or they're coming to what? Find a... Not a loophole to discredit him. A problem. Remember, they've already decided that he can't be Messiah because they don't want him to be Messiah. So he has to be who? The devil himself. That's exactly right. So they're going to discredit him. Remember, they want to destroy him. So whether they're coming because the guys in Galilee needed help from the big guys, and so they're bringing the, the more important ones from Jerusalem. I don't want to make a bigger case on this. Make sense? But there's a reason that they've traveled from Jerusalem. And I think it's interesting that immediately that they come up with a what? A discrepancy. A problem. This isn't something that's against God's word. It's something that's against their tradition. This is a big deal. We're going to see this in a few moments. I don't want to jump myself. I, I got all these thoughts in my brain. And so even when I was putting this together, I kept putting it out of order from what I have in my notes. And so I'm trying to make sure I have all this together. But their intent, though, where I want to deal with this before I forget it. Their intent was to condemn Jesus of condoning sin. Okay? So this is the big deal of this. Okay? And we'll see, talk about this in a moment. They have elevated their oral law to the same level as written law. Okay? So you've got to understand that. We'll come back to it and talk about that. Okay? So their traditions, okay, when we talk about the, the Mishnah and the Talmud, okay, those are the, the, the defining, what does it mean to love the Lord your God? In the Shema, we're told to do that. What does that mean? How does that look like? So in the Talmud and the, Talmud and the Mishnah, they, they go through all this defining of what that looks like. And so that's what we're talking about here, okay? That he's going against the writings of the scribes and of the Pharisees, okay? And, and their definitions of what this looks like. Okay? And so, so he's going against their traditions. Now, note it says, um, I don't know if it's here or Mark, but it's, this is traditions not just of the Pharisees and the scribes, but it's of all the people. Because everybody has accepted this. We've accepted it in my house, too. Before you eat, you're supposed to what? Wash your hands. In fact, I'm struggling a little bit on the, and God is pulling away. God's pulling away, man. I feel good right now. I'm going to preach for five hours. 
but I'm, I'm struggling on the, on, the, on the end of the croup here, okay? And I know why it was, because when I went home last week, I didn't what? I didn't wash my hands. Pastor Woody, love him. Um, he was the guy who led me to the Lord, and, and, and he was my, my mentor, and he went into the military as I was taking over as his head pastor, and he passed on all the, the wisdom of the sages um, to ministry as I took over. And, and he said, um, if I can pass on one thing to you, this is what it would be. At the end of every service, go wash your hands. <laughs> After you're done shaking hands with everybody, go wash your hands. I thought, wow, okay. He was sick a lot. I get it. You know, you shake everybody's hands and you get what? Everybody's arms. It's like the, the, that's why you see the, the people in the bank, when they're, they, they're handling all that money, they go back and they use all that the hand sanitizer, right? Because they're getting everybody's germs on the... On the. Anyways, so, so the washing the hands things, you know, I'm not... I, I'm, I'm more of Jesus' disciples on this thing, you know? Ah, I've been to Canada, man. You know, we got fish slime all over us and we just kind of wipe it on the bread and, you know, put the peanut butter over it. And um, yeah. <laughs> you got to use something, didn't have a towel, you know, just use your, use your whatever. It's a guy thing. Anyways, but, but the wives look at it and the wives go, what? Oh, that's gross. <laughs> anyways, yeah. So anyways, Pharisaic, the Pharisees, they were a little feminine. Anyways, sorry. It's just, anyways, yeah. So, but the reality is it became their what? Their tradition to wash the hands. So think about it. Somebody comes to your house for dinner. And you note, so I'm thinking my house now, right? Because you've got to come in, you've got to go come down the hallway, you've got to turn to the right, and then the first door to the left is the hall bathroom, right? So when they came in, before they sat down, they didn't what? They didn't ask me where the bathroom was. If they'd been there before, they, they know where it's at. They didn't go there. They didn't even go to the kitchen sink and wash it. They didn't go over to Andrew's bathroom and wash it. They just sat down and started to eat. So I have to now get up from the table because they're what? Unclean. Exactly, I can't fellowship with these people. Or how, I mean, how could they do this? That's exactly what, I mean, think about it. We laugh about this, but this is exactly what's happening at this moment. So they are accusing Jesus of allowing his disciples, condoning a sinful practice. They're only doing this because their mentor is what? Not correcting them on this. And so if Jesus is who he says he is, he ought to know better. Make sense? So... Your disciples, key word here, transgress. It's not used very often, okay? But um, the exact word in the Greek, when it's brought back over into the Old Testament, you have verses, I think, on your sermon note sheet um, references that you can go check that out later. I think I put them there for you. Do you have, like, Exodus 32, 8, and Numbers 5? Did I give you those on your sermon note sheets? Yeah, okay, you can go check those out later. Those are in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is what they use in the days of Jesus. That's where that word that's used here is used in the Old Testament. You can go check it out later, okay? It's very important because it, it literally means to turn away from, okay? So you're turning away from. You're making a decision to go against or to cross over the line or to turn away from, to rebel against these things, okay? So he's, they're accusing him of rebellion, really, is what's happening here, okay? And so, for what they do. So... Big deal. Jesus' answer, though, is huge. He comes back, and he accuses them of what? Hypocrisy. Okay? So he comes back with an accusation of his own. He retorts right back. says, wait, 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 wait. Hey, guys, let's think this one through. Why do you transgress the law, which is what? Well, we're going to talk about that, but yes, it supersedes. But what is the law? Whose is it? God's. Yeah, so you go against the teachings of God, 
to elevate your own teachings. Make sense? Okay? So his accusation then against them is that they had elevated human tradition above the divine law. Okay? So in, in you holding to this practice, this is what you're doing. So they had then, what, this is what I want we're to get to, is the oral law versus the written law. They believe, Jews, the Jewish people believe, that when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai, that God actually gave him two laws. He gave him the written law, which is what you have called the Torah, right? We don't call it the Torah, we call it the Bible, okay? But they would refer to it as Torah. Torah is the written law. But he also gave them an oral law. And so that Moses then passed on orally, which was... What does this look like? It was the explanation of the written law. It's where we then get the, the Talmud in the Mishnah. Okay? And so then the, the, um, excuse me, the rabbis continue to comment on and continue to define and continue to explain what the Torah is. And so no longer do they read the Torah. They read what? The Mishnah and the, the Talmud. Because they care about what does it mean. So illustration here, you can read this. This is, this is a quote from the Jewish Virtual Library. The oral law is a legal commentary on the Torah, explaining how its commandments are to be carried out. Common sense, think about this. Look at, think about what's being stated here. Common sense suggests that some sort of oral tradition was always needed to accompany the written law because the Torah alone, even with the 613 commands, is an insufficient guide to Jewish life. Do you understand what's being stated there? God's not enough. God's word isn't enough. So I want to ask you this question, okay? So I can step on your toes, okay? So I'm saying this purposely. Is God's word enough in your quiet time? Or do you have to read commentaries? Or do you have to read somebody telling you what it actually said? Jesus said it was profitable for you, for us, his disciples, for him to leave. Because if he left, he would give us the Holy Spirit. And the job of the Holy Spirit was what? To lead us into all truth and to remind us of the teachings of Jesus. If God dwells in me, if I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, if I'm sealed with his presence until the, until the day of redemption, that means I can never lose the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's dwelling within me, and Jesus has promised to teach me his word. Do I believe it? And how do I know I believe it? Because I read his word. And I ask him, open thou mine eyes that, you may behold, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. We're going to get there when we do bait. That's part of the, the second stanza of Psalm 119. Oh, no, I'm sorry, third stanza. That's verse 20. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Isn't it kind of nice when you have 176 of Psalm 119 memorized, you can just kind of... The Holy Spirit just grabs one and throws it out there. That wasn't part of the message. It was just free. But it's kind of cool. God does this stuff. And so, the Jewish people, though, thought that the Word of God wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to ask God what it meant. They wanted a list. And so you can continue reading if you go to that site there. See what I said about the fine print? I didn't think anyone was going to be able to read that there. I just wanted to make sure that I put, cited it. But you can probably read that even all the way back. Chuck, can you read that? That's kind of cool, isn't it? Anyways, good, good projector. Um, I'm going to do all my slides in this, pr in this print from now on. I get, I get a whole lot more on it. <laughs> 
Anyways, um, <clears throat> but the, the reality is that they had this, this oral tradition that was going on, and they elevated it. So, again, to, to um, illustrate it, he brought, brings up this thing about how they treat their mom and their dad. The first thing he does is he talks about the law. Again, the law is what? The divine word. God's word. God's, if you would, tradition. Okay? If you even want to use that word, okay? But it's God's truth. Make sense? And so God determines in his word that we're supposed to honor our father and our mother. And it says whoever curses, whoever condemns, curses their father and mother, let them be put to death. What's the intent? So you take those two things without somebody telling you what that looks like. You tell me, what does that mean? In a, in a, in a, in a, in a whole, what does that look? What does that mean? To honor your father and your mother, and if anybody curses them, let them be put to death. Rodney? Well, honor your father and mother or else, but, but get, paint me a picture of what does it mean to honor your father and your mother. Give them praise. Give them praise. Okay. Show them respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, right? Show them a little bit of respect. What did you say, Mark? Gratitude. Show them gratitude. Okay. Give them honor. Okay. And it, clearly, the other side of it is it doesn't include what? Cursing them. Well, what does cursing them mean? I mean, it doesn't mean cussing them out. That's what we bring that word cursing. Back then, what did cursing mean? <clears throat> okay, good. Wishing bad upon them. Okay, can you give me an illustration that Jesus gave of a parable where maybe some son did that? Good, the prodigal son. Think about what, what that... We'll get there, and we'll talk about this. But think about what's really happening there. The son tells the father, I wish you were dead. Where do you get that at? Because he says what? I want my inheritance. I mean, when do you get your inheritance? When they're dead. Okay? So, but God shows great love, even in the midst of that. That son deserved at that very moment, by the law, to what? To be put to death. And so... So we don't need additional what? Definition to know what this means. This is what this means. Okay? But they, in their, in their tradition, said, whoever says to his father or mother, it is Corban. Okay? And so I put it as we usually write it in English, but honestly, if we brought it over properly, that C would be a Q because it's a kof in the Hebrew, and that's a Q. Um, but I like it this way because it's pretty close to me, and so I just always like to claim I'm a gift. And, um, but the korban is the, the gen- general offering. So in the Hebrew, there are multiple words for um, sacrifices and offerings, okay? Um, and so, but korban is the word for a general offering, okay? So when you gave an, an offering to the Lord, it would be korban, okay? Um, and so they decided that giving gifts to God was more important than taking care of your, your family. Okay? And so, in their definitions then, how they continued to define it, they came down to this point where, if you said to your father and your mother, what I could help you with is what? Corban, then you don't have to what? You don't have to help them. Okay? Now, 
I'm not getting into all the details because when it's Corban, and you can go into some of the, the references in the Old Testament, when it's Corban, it can't be redeemed. And if it was redeemed, it had to be added, I think, a, a 20% to it and that kind of stuff. So you can get into all the legalisms behind the scenes. And I don't want to go into that. Other than Jesus, what Jesus was saying here, the importance of what Jesus is saying, is that in making this statement and even defining that, what they just did was what? Breaking the law. So in order to define a law, they broke a law. The Bible is a book that's full of balances. I hate to define election and free will. I believe in them both. I believe in predestination. I believe we're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what the Bible says. I believe in election. I believe in free will. I don't know how they come together, and I'm okay with stating that. I have my what? My thoughts. I have my ruminations. I meditate on this thing, and like anybody else, I'd like to have it all lined out and figured out, but I'm not willing to go beyond what the Bible says. Because the minute you go beyond what the Bible says, you start what? You start negating other verses. It doesn't fit. So what do you have to do if this verse doesn't fit with what you think? You have to redefine that verse. It clearly, that verse doesn't mean that. It means this. And so, for example, with those who believe in predestination, double predestination, they say, no, it's not double predestination. It really is. I mean, if you believe that God has elected these and predestined these to be saved, then he had to predestine what? The others not to be saved, right? And so when they come to John 3, 16, and it says that God so loved the world, he's not talking about everybody. They redefine world to be only the elect. And when they talk about in 1 John chapter 2, where it says then that Christ is not only the propitiation for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world, world he really doesn't mean world there he means only the elect and so you start defining these other words and like this doesn't make sense you can't do that i'd rather sit there and say what i don't know but i know the one who does the one who's defined it the one who's got the balance in his hand he's the one who's you know when you think of justice it's always a scales right it's a what it's a balance who's the one who has the balance god I can leave it in his hands. Every time we try to define beyond what God has defined, we always make a mess of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about the hierarchy of authority. That there's God, there's Christ, there's man, there's a woman. Now, it's defined. It's defined. That's very defined. I don't have to worry about anything else. It's defined. Okay? But now, in the definition of it, the authority, it says that long hair is a shame for a man to have. That's defined. Even nature itself tells us. Okay? And then it says that a woman's supposed to have long hair. But every time I preach that passage, I always have a woman come up to me and ask me what? What's long hair? And so, so now in the message, I always go to the book of Revelation. And we read about the locusts who come out and they have a woman's hair. And I always say, stop. What did you just picture? You just defined it for yourself. I don't have to define it. God didn't choose to define it. What's modesty look like? Is it one inch below the knee, two inches below the knee, one inch above the knee? Can you have a slit coming down the side? No slit coming down the side. I mean, we're talking only women right now, because men, we don't have to worry about modesty, right? Duh. Because, pharisaically, we begin to what? We begin to define it, and when we define it, we begin to make our definitions the source of our judgments, rather than what God said. That's a very uncomfortable place to accept what God said and leave it there. Because I want what? Definition. 
what does that look like in my culture? What does that look like in my house? How can I go back to my wife and say, hey, 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 you're disregarding my authority. God told you to respect me, woman. Yeah, well, he told you to love me. Yeah, well, God does this to his church. You know, judgment comes upon the house of God first, right? So I can do that. And we like to what? We start like to define. Rather than accepting what God says, we want to define things. We want to justify ourselves. Did you ever watch Fiddler on the Roof? I love the part where they're in the, the, the synagogue and the rabbi's talking about divorce. Even if she burns the toast. Even if she burns the toast. Even if she burns the toast. Does this say that in God's word? No, but it says that in the Talmud and Mishnah. The rabbis determined that. That if they disple- even if they burnt the toast, they displeased you, so you could get rid of them. That's what the law says. And so now they defined it. How sad. So, whoever says to his father and mother, it's what? It's a gift to God. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Because you're what? It sounds righteous, doesn't it? It sounds very righteous. Because you're going to give as a gift to who? To God. To God. But God gets no honor out of the fact that we don't do what he's called us to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second is like unto it. If you are really loving God, what will you do? Love your neighbor. You won't be trying to shortchange your mom and dad. You don't know what they did to me growing up. They think they want a penny off of me. They need to think again. What do we do with our parents? I'm not trying to put a guilt trip, okay? But I just want to challenge you. In our culture today, what do we do with our parents? We put them in a home. Now, sometimes we, it's necessary. I get that because of nursing care. You know, years ago, we didn't have the nursing care that we have now. And they were in our home to what? To die. We brought them into our home to die. We took care of them. Just as they took care of us when we were babies, we take care of them when they're in their, their convalescent ages. right? And, 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 but today, we can keep them. We can, well, I know. I'm getting older, too. Okay, So I'm going to be there. right? Okay? But we keep them long, living longer. right? And so we, they need additional care. And so I get that. But there still becomes this balance. And, and I become calloused and legalistic in my, in my excusing of myself to what my obligations are. And so we can look at the, the Pharisees and say, oh, I can't believe they did that. But what about me? What do I set aside? What are the things that I'm supposed to be loving my neighbor? But I say, well, but I'm going to minister to the church instead. The church is important. Service to God is important. But so is loving my neighbor. So is loving my mom and my dad. His condemnation to him. Hypocrites. You're worshiping in word, not the word, but in word alone. Their heart wasn't there. He says, well, did Isaiah talk about you? And then he gets into talking about their blindness. He says, they're blind guides. Verse 14, let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. If a blind leads the blind, both will what? Fall into a ditch. Again, we've talked about the word before, but a hypocrite is, again, Shakespearean play concept, okay? It's the one who puts the masks in front of their face. They play the part. They're an actor. And so they were acting what? 
righteous. They were playing the part of a righteous person. But in their hearts, they, they were far from it, is what Jesus said. You're worshiping in, in word alone. And so he goes on and starts giving them this illustration, verse 11. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And then he goes on, um, drops down later because his disciples don't understand it. He says, verse 16, you still were without understanding. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, this isn't, this isn't defile. He reveals then the source of their, of their accusation. It's the pride of their heart. It comes from their heart. Because it's proceeding from their heart. That's where, where all this came from. Why are they even seeking to accuse him? Why are they seeking to destroy him? Why are they seeking to, to bring him down? Because it's in their heart. Their heart's wrong. Their heart's not right. Their heart's not toward God. They want what they want, and they're seeking to what? I mean, honestly, what are they? They're not just elevating the traditions of men. What are they seeking to, to elevate them? Good, Phyllis. Themselves. That's exactly right. Because who's behind the traditions? They are. It's their power. Do you get it? That's the power they have over the people. They're the ones who have these, these traditions. They're the ones who, who do the Talmud. They're the ones who, and so the word Talmud by itself it literally means to instruct from the Torah. Okay, So it's the idea, and then the Mishnah then is the commentaries on top of it. And so they're the ones, the scribes, were the ones who were to teach. That's me, in a sense. Make sense? So there's a little bit of a power, a little bit of authority, you know, that as you teach God's word, you may feel people feel bad, and you, you tell them this is what it says, and that kind of stuff. But the only authority I really have, and we talked about this back in Matthew 6, Matthew 7, the only authority that I have is what? What's been given me, but what authority is that? Well, okay, what God says, and so where do we read what God says? His word. That's the only authority I have. If I, when I step beyond the word, I step out on whose authority? My own authority. Do you get it? And, and so many times, there are so many messages where someone reads a verse, or half a verse even, and they what? They close the Bible, and then they teach on whatever they want to teach. I've told you in the past, I mean, how I, Joel Osteen, I mean, I'll say his name. I mean, I saw it myself. You know, he read a verse from the Psalms on meditation, closed the thing, and then taught Eastern mysticism. Eastern meditation. Emptying yourself of everything. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is focusing on God and his word. He taught them untruth. He read a verse and taught them untruth. Never talked about the Bible afterwards. James 3.1 says, Be not many masters, such have the greater condemnation. I know I'm going to give an account to God for everything I teach you, for everything I've taught over the years. That's a fearful thing. I don't live in fear of God, but you get what I'm saying. I'm going to give an account. You're going to give an account. You are representing God every day. If you say you know him, you are representing him every day. What representation are you giving? You're going to give an account. Out of the heart proceeds, and then he begins to talk about all these things that proceed out of the heart. 
So Galatians chapter 5, we don't need to turn there, but you can look at that later, where it gives a listing of the works of the flesh, and then it gives the fruit of the Spirit. We all know the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering. But do we memorize and do we think about the works of the flesh, the adultery, the fornication, the lewdness, the, all these things that are there? No, we don't want to think about those things. Okay, But there's a whole long list, including outbursts of wrath and selfish ambition, contentions and dissensions that are in that list. These are works of the flesh. If we're being led by the flesh, then those things are going to be evident in our life. And we don't want to know whether things, those things are evident in my life. The source of their accusation was the pride of their heart. It was all about them. Then quickly, we've got to, we want to move into this Gentile woman because this is beautifully juxtaposed by Matthew. Um, from, from meeting with these Pharisees, he travels into the Gentile territory over towards Tyre and Sidon. And when he goes over there, he meets this woman. Actually, he doesn't meet her. She what? She accosts him, in a sense, from the perspective. And I say that from that perspective because the disciples want to what? They want, they want to get rid of her. This is an annoyance. Right? And so she comes... And she expresses her desire to Jesus. And what does she want Jesus to do? Heal her daughter. Is this a big deal to Jesus? I mean, it'd be a big deal to me. You come to me, you know, it's like Ahab, you know, when, when the king of Syria sends the, um, and said, you know, he wanted Naaman um, healed, right? He says, this guy's picking a fight. You know, I can't heal him. And so Elijah sends to him and says, hey, let him know there's a prophet here. Send him my way, right? So if someone came to you and said, hey, I, I need you to heal me, our instant reaction would be what? Uh, right? <laughs> yeah, I can't. Whatever. I'll pray for you. Okay, whatever, okay? This isn't a big deal for Jesus. How do I know that? He's done it before. He's done it lots of times before. Not a big deal. This is just another healing. Just another healing. But it's not just another healing. As we're going to see, Right? So her desire is, she just wants her daughter to be healed, okay? Jesus, we're going to see, tells her no. We'll talk about his response in a second. But I want you to note her persistence, okay? There's, um, there's a debate on prayer, okay, in, um, on persistence in prayer. And I don't necessarily go to the extreme that I think some people do with that you badger God and finally God will do what you want him to do, okay? Um, I really want God's will. Make sense? And so I don't want God to give in because I keep, what? Badgering him. Make sense? So there's a balance. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks from now. We're going to spend four weeks on prayer, okay, um, before we get into the week of prayer and fasting. And so we'll stop Matthew for a while and we'll spend four weeks um, looking at prayer. But, but just for here, it, persistence still is important, though, because persistence is a, is, a, is a sign of what? Say again, go. Urgency and commitment, yes? I mean, it's something that you really want, is what you're really saying. It's, it's not just a what? A whim. You know, I want a slotless racetrack. I mean, I joke about that. It's really more of a joke now, okay? I want a slotless racetrack. I really don't. But it's just a, you know, one of those whim things, okay? You're going to buy me one. He's going to go on eBay. He's going to pay thousands of dollars for an old retro, and I'm not going to play with it. Anyways, so. But, but the point is, if, do you ever have your kids... You know, you know when they really want something, if they what? Say again? 
tease for it, but they continue to ask for it, not just all day, for a long time. Make sense? Okay, so a good Larry Burkett, years ago, before he passed on, one of the good principles he gave as far as finances went, when you have that desire for something, if it's not a necessity, like my oven went out and I need a new oven or my refrigerator went out, right? If it's not a necessity, is to put it off for 30 days. If at the end of 30 days, it's still really a, a burning desire, then give it some thought. Because too many times we have what? Passing fads, passing desires. Say again? I want itis. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, because I see it and I want. I mean, ladies, that's, that's what going to the mall is all about. It's the, the window lusting, okay? You come, or Walmart. I, I laugh at Walmart. Walmart has a vacuum that when you walk in, I know it's, it sounds, it's, it blows in your hair when you walk in and it messes up your hair, you know? But that's because on the other side, they got a vacuum. So it's blowing all that air out and it's sucking $50 out of your pocket every time you walk in. You can't go into Walmart without getting 50 bucks sucked out of you. I mean, if you don't, if you don't have cash, it's sucking your credit cards out. And um, it's like, stop, what? where's that happening, you know? And, but it's they're taking your money out. Why? Because you walk in there, all you needed was a bottle of Prowl. But you've got to walk past a lot of other owls to get to the bottle of Prowl. And while you're there, you might as well what? Meander down the, the other owls to find things that you didn't know you needed. And I'll want itis. <laughs> kicks in and you say what? Oh, well, that's a good deal. Oh, it's on sale. And I save money by spending money, huh? How does this happen? Anyways, back to what we're talking about. Persistence. You know when somebody's committed to something if they continue to what? Ask. Okay? Now, the balance of that is knowing whether it's a godly thing you're asking for. She was asking for what? The healing of her daughter. Was that an ungodly thing? No. Okay, it's not an ungodly thing. In the end, it's like Jesus in the garden, though. Not my what? Will, but yours will be done. But the interesting thing here is the rebuke of Messiah. This is, this is an amazing thing, and I don't want to shy away from it. What is Jesus' response to this woman? I'm not here for you. Okay? That I've come to where? Where have I come? I've only come for the, the lost sheep of Israel. And you're not. you got to understand the Jewish people, again, remember this is a Jewish man writing to Jewish people about a Jewish Messiah, right? The Jewish people looked at the Gentiles as not even people. They're not persons. They were like dogs. That's hence the next comment. Okay? That's the common thought process of Jewish people, the Gentiles. They weren't people. So again, if you've seen um, the... Fiddler on the roof, that's the important statement. When Golda says to Modal, you're a person. Don't let that little moment slide past. She's elevated him to having worth at that moment. He was never of any worth to her before. But now she has a grandkid through him. So now he's elevated. He has any, some kind of worth. He's a person. But all those R- Russian people around him, those discussions, that's why when Tavia, you know, just kind of, they're not even people, they're dogs. Make sense? That's when you begin to understand this. So Jesus, think about it, this is really kind of cool. Jesus puts out the Jewish what? Statements. Okay? Say it again. The Samaritan 
Yes, so he doesn't do it with the Samaritan woman, right. Because there's a what? A bigger picture going on here. Does it make sense? This is huge. Say again? This is a learning moment. That's right. This is, this is exactly right. This is a learning process. This is a learning time, okay? Jesus knows exactly. I mean, why do you think he went to this town anyway? He had an appointment. With who? This woman. That's exactly right, okay? And so I think there's a bigger picture that he wants his disciples to see. Again, this is all instruction time. This isn't instruction for the woman. This is instruction for his disciples. They've already seen what the Pharisees act like. He's already had to explain to them all about the heart situation. And now he takes them to the extreme, to the dogs. Quote, unquote, from the Jewish perspective. And so he gives that line. Woman, I'm not sent to, the, to, the, to you. I'm sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And she doesn't quit, right? And then he says to her, he makes it, it goes further, and he says, it's not good to do what? To give the, the sons, the, the, the food of the house, of the people of the house, to the dogs. If you come to my house, Shiloh's not allowed in the dining room. Period. When we're eating, she can come in any other time, but she's not allowed in the dining room when we eat. All we got to do is she starts creeping. <clears throat> she knows. And she creeps right back out. It's a big black lab, but she knows. She's not allowed there. You know? I mean, we conversation can be going on. I see her coming out. I see, is you allowed in here? And she knows the, 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 ma- the master's voice, right? And she creeps back out. She knows. Why? Because it's not good to give what? The food of, of, of my kids to the dog. That's not what she eats. We buy her food. Okay? She's not a person. I'm sorry. Your dog is not a person. <laughs> Neither is your cat. That's even worse. Anyways, if you've got a kangaroo, we may talk. No, anyways. <laughs> a dog's not a person. Okay, so anyways, so he plays this line out, and what he's really calling her is a what? A dog. How massive. We're going to come back to her in a moment at the very end here, but not to ignore her response here. Yay, Lord. But even the dogs get to eat the what? The crumbs. The recognition of his authority. You have the power to do this. I know this is yours to do. You can heal my my daughter if you choose to. And then her humbleness. You can call me whatever you want. Because I know you are the king. I know who you are. Are you willing to be a dog? In the eyes of God. I think the English language is fun sometimes. Because the opposite of God... Language-wise, take it backwards, is dog. Unlike Bob. Backwards, it's Bob. Are you willing to be the dog in the eyes of God? Or do you have to be somebody? Jesus, we're going to see in just a moment, is filled with amazement and wonder. And praise for this woman because of her great faith, her humbleness, her humble. She was willing to be a dog and get whatever scraps God would give her. She didn't have to be the big guy. I just want whatever you can give me. 
the source of her faith was the humbleness of her heart. So, for you and I, where are we on that pride humbleness spectrum? I've been accused of being prideful in the past. And when I was accused, I admitted it. I struggled with pride. I never thought I did. I remember when I first became a pastor. Struggled lust of the flesh. We're good with that. I got that one. Down pat. Grew up in pornography. I understand that. Lust of the eyes. Oh, no, I don't have the I want as. I mean, I'm not, I don't care about a car. I don't care about equipment. All that kind of stuff. This back then, right? Didn't have to worry about Didn't worry about that. Pride of life. Pfft, didn't bother me at all. You know what? You don't think you struggle with all three of those? Just say that to God. And allow God to... Uh, Gabrielle, can you close the door back there? Allow God to, to give you a few years <laughs> to reveal to you your, your dross. I am so stinkful, stinking prideful. Every time I think that, I, okay, Lord... I've humbled myself and I've overcome this. God does what? He likes to turn up the heat just a little bit and cause the what? The drush just kind of like a bubble one more time. I don't want to be. I think this helps me to know that I'm really saved. <laughs> does that make sense? Because I don't want it. But I know how easy it is for me to use my, my mouth, my tongue, to, 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 to tear, tear apart what people say sometimes because of my great intelligence. I, I, I don't mean... You get what I'm saying? I don't mean it that way, but yet I know there's that struggle that's in me. That we can look down on other people because of a gift that God has given to us. Woe be to us. Someone came up to me years ago, previous church, to commend me on my humbleness. I looked at him, I said, just remember, humility can be prideful. They didn't like my comment back because <laughs> I was not accepting their, their compliment. But I know. Folks, it's easy to put on the cloak of what? Humbleness. All along, that cloak of humbleness is covering what? A body of pride. What do your words reveal about that? Honestly, which is of greater weight to you, the word of God or your own desires and traditions? If you read in God's word, and you might have already at some point in your quiet time, if you don't have quiet time, you should be doing this. Maybe you don't have quiet time because you're afraid of reading what God might tell you about some of your traditions and your own beliefs. But anyways, as you're reading and you read something and you find out that maybe something you're doing, one of your traditions, doesn't flow with what God's word says. What's your normal reaction? Do I ignore? Or do I take note of that and begin to pray, God, help me with that? So as I shared in my testimony time this morning um, from Second Chronicles, reading about Amaziah, that was my prayer response. Lord, I, do, I'm, I know I'm getting toward my latter I do not want to, to lose you in my latter days. I, I, I don't want my, my love for you to wax cold. I, I, I see what happens, and I don't want to be that guy. I know the struggle that's within me, and I don't want that.
how committed are you to ministering to your parents? This is a big deal for me. My parents are in Pittsburgh. And so I, my dad, mom and dad made it easy on us. They used to drive down four or five times a year. They'd come down on a Friday and leave on a Sunday. It was amazing. You know, sometimes they stay longer. My dad can't drive anymore. My mom's not going to drive that far. So that means the shoe is where? On the other foot. Which means what? A lot of trips to Pittsburgh. And bringing them back down so they can see the grandkids. If I want them to see the grandkids, they're great-grandkids, my grandkids. If I want them to be able to build that relationship, then it's incumbent upon who? Upon me to honor my mother and my father by being willing to make that trip. This is a hard thing as we apply it out. How do you honor your father and your mother? How do you play it out? For those of you that are younger, you have years to make this decision. Okay, Some of us, we've already blown so many years of it, right? And so that's okay. That's part of life. You, with life, I don't regret the past. I just what? Keep moving to the future. I learn from the past. I move to the future. But what am I going to do with my mom and my dad? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. We know that you alone are God most high. There is none other. And we are grateful, Lord, to you for what you have done in our lives. Ultimately, you are our Father. And Lord, you've said that how can we say that we love you whom we cannot see when we don't love those who we do see? And so I think of even my mom and my dad, Lord. Forgive me for not loving them maybe as I ought to, especially in this day when I can make a call for free because I've already paid for the account. And I can talk to them as often as I want to, and I don't because I don't make myself the time because I want to do other things with my time. Forgive me for that, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would seek to honor you by honoring others. Lord, that we would have such great faith that, yes, Lord, we would even be willing to be considered a dog in your kingdom just to serve you, to know you, and to make you known. But, Lord, as I consider dogs, dogs are faithful beings. They're obedient if they've been trained. And they will remain true to their, their master. Help me to be that dog. Lord, help me to be faithful and true. Help me to receive the training that you give that I might serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.